This week we have the story of the women, the woman at the well in Samaria. This is from John chapter 4. Uh, law and gospel here. Without Jesus, we are dead in our sin. And because we are dead in our sin, we cannot worship God in spirit and in truth. By nature, we are like this Samaritan woman. We might think we are worshiping God. We may say that we are worshiping God, but we really don't understand what we're worshiping. We're not worshiping in the right way. Jesus, however, came to give us the water of life. That is, through his word, he gives life to our souls. And his word makes us who we are. Uh, those who were not the people of God now are the people of God uh, because we have been made alive through his word. And that's exactly what we see happening here. The Samaritan woman who was not one of the people of God and was not worshiping God correctly is brought to faith and made a child of God through the living water that Jesus gives to her. John chapter 4 verses 1 to 42. Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee. But he needed to go through Samaria. Uh, apparently, Jesus didn't want to give offense. He didn't want to give the people a reason to criticize the preaching of the gospel. He and John were not in competition, but <clears throat> it sounds like the Jews were maybe kind of taking it that way. Like, oh, Jesus and John are in competition. And so Jesus leave, leaves so that it doesn't appear like him and John are uh, in competition. It's also possible that he left because... He was certain to come to the attention of the Pharisees, and it was not the right time uh, for him to come into conflict with them. Uh, the, the time of his death, had, of course, had not yet come. Uh, so that might be part of the reason he leaves as well. But the gospel says he needed to go through Samaria. Why did he need to go through uh, Samaria? Some, some uh, com commentators think that, well, that just means he, he didn't bother to go around. A lot of the Jews would go all the way around Samaria, which was <clears throat> quite a bit away, out of the way if you're trying traveling from Jerusalem out to Galilee, the straight road, the straight shot goes right through Samaria, but a lot of the Jews would cross the Jordan and go around <clears throat> on the east side of the Jordan so they didn't have to go through Samaria at all. Uh, the, the gospel, however, doesn't say that he chose to go through Samaria, but he needed to go through Samaria. Perhaps the Holy Spirit was leading him uh, through Samaria just for this reason, so that he could confront this woman and the other people that lived in this uh, town of Sychar with her. Uh, perhaps he had other business that he had to attend to in Samaria. Uh, certainly Jesus came to seek and to save the lost and the Samaritans were lost uh, outside of God's kingdom and outside of God's grace. So perhaps John meant nothing more than he, he needed to go and, and preach the gospel to the Samaritans as well. Whatever the reason, he goes up through Samaria instead of going around. Verse 5. So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. Uh, the term, the sixth hour, can be taken in one of two ways. Either John is talking about Jewish time, in which case this is noon, or he's using Roman time, in which case this is 6 p.m. at night. Now, the Gospel of John definitely uses Roman time in John, John chapter 19, where John is talking about the crucifixion of Jesus. Uh, it's, there's no doubt about it. He's using Roman time there. Also remember that the Gospel of John was written much later. Uh, it was written when John was maybe already in Ephesus and it had been for a while. It was written mainly to Gentiles, not to the Jews. 
<clears throat> and there's nothing in the context that implies that he's using Jewish time here. So all the evidence points to the fact that this is Roman time. A lot of people just assume that John is using Jewish time. So the Jews count the hours from the morning and then again from the evening. So around they start they kind of start with one o'clock would be one hour after sunrise. Uh, so that would be about 7 a.m. our time, right? And then they count up until sunset. And then after sunset, it's the first hour of the night, the second hour of the night, like that. So uh, <clears throat> one at night would, again, be around 7 p.m. Uh, our time. Uh, the Romans counted the hours exactly the same way we do. They started at noon and at midnight. So the sixth hour by Roman time would be six, either 6 a.m. or 6 p.m. Uh, obviously, this would be 6 p.m. because Jesus has been walking all day. And that makes perfect sense within the story. There's absolutely no reason to think that John uses Roman time in, in John chapter 19, and then for some reason he uses Jewish time here. Uh, very, All the evidence points to, okay, this is Roman time. It's 6 p.m. at night, not noon. M some of your Sunday school books and commentators might say noon. Uh, almost certainly it wasn't. Uh, it was uh, 6 p.m. A woman of Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For the Jews had no dealings with the Samaritans. So if you haven't heard the history of the Samaritans before, that's important for this story. Uh, you may remember way back, <laughs> long before even the Babylonian captivity, the northern ten tribes of Israel were conquered by the Assyrians and the people, the Jews living in that area, the Israelites, they weren't Jews, but they were Israelites, uh, living in that area were taken away and other people were brought in in their place. So this is what the Assyrians did. Uh, they, they would conquer people, then they would take that people and scatter them throughout the empire so they couldn't get together and rise and re up in rebellion again. Uh, so they took the Israelites from the northern ten tribes, they scattered them throughout the Assyrian empire, then they took other people that they had conquered and brought them in to that area. When these other people came to that area, they were having problems. They were having problems with their crops, and they were having problems with drought and all these other problems. And they talked to the southern kingdom of Judah. They said, oh, why are we having problems? And the, the priests and, and Levites from the southern part of Judah said, because you're not worshiping the Lord. Oh, the Lord is a true God. You need to worship him. And so the these uh, foreigners who had been brought into the area of Israel said, well, come and teach us. So uh, the, the priests and Levites came up from Judah. They taught them about the Lord. But these new people, they didn't worship the Lord only. They just added the Lord to the list of gods that they already worshipped. Uh, and so they weren't really worshipping the Lord. They certainly weren't doing it the right way. And uh, and so the the Jew, the Jews, the Judah people uh, were like, this is wrong, you shouldn't do this. And that, that was right of the Judah people to, to say that. And it was right of the Jews of Jesus' day to tell the Samaritans that they're worshiping incorrectly, that you can't worship the Lord and also uh, these other foreign gods. Uh, but the people of Samaria didn't listen to them. And the result was that the Jewish people wouldn't talk to, wouldn't have anything to deal with the Samaritans. They were certainly right to warn them and to criticize the way that they were worshiping the Lord. Uh, however, they weren't probably so right in their attitude towards them. They, you know, to, I'm not even going to talk to you. I'm going to hold up my nose at you, uh, right? We want to confront sinners with the truth of God's word uh, in a loving way. Uh, we don't want to, oh, I'm not going to talk to you ever again uh, because you're worshiping the Lord incorrectly. So this is the situation between the, the Jews and the Samaritans. Uh, but of course, Jesus is reaching out to the lost. He came to seek and to save the lost. And the Samaritans are part of the lost as well. So he reaches out to this woman. Jesus answered and said to her, verse 10, 
uh, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where then do you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself as well as his sons and his livestock? Notice that the woman considers herself a descendant of Jacob. So she considers herself an Israelite, uh, the, our father Jacob, right? And the Samaritans were mixed, right? The, some of the Israelites were left in that land and, and mixed with the foreigners that were brought in. So there was some truth to her statement, you know, our father Jacob. But the Jews uh, would have been very upset with that, the, her uh, associating herself as a descendant of Jacob. Anyway, she does it. So then we have this discussion about living water. Now, the term that Jesus uses here for living water um, implies a, a water that it, it can be used for a water that is running uh, like a spring or, or a river. And because it's, it's running, the water is fresh and cleaner and maybe even filtered through the sand as opposed to a stagnant well. This woman was drawing well, water out of a well. It might have been very stagnant, might have been muddy, but you know, it might have had mold in there. Uh, it's always better to get that running, living, quote unquote, living water uh, than the stagnant water that's at the bottom of a well often. It's cleaner, it's fresher, it's healthier, it tastes better, right? Uh, and so this is what this woman thinks that Jesus is talking about. But of course, Jesus is using the idea of living water uh, to teach us about spiritual things. This is throughout the scripture, uh, the term living water is used very often about God and, and about his word. And the prophet Jeremiah called Jehovah the fountain of living water in Jeremiah 17, 13. And Zechariah foretold the opening of a fountain of living water in Jerusalem that would cleanse us from our sins. Psalm 46, 4, there is a river whose stream shall make glad the city of God. They're the, the living water that makes the people of God happy. And of course, that is a reference to uh, the the spirit working through the word to bring life to our souls. Uh, Jesus uses the picture of water to equate to his word because water is what gives life, right? Without water, there is no life. And uh, you, you, you live in a wilderness area, you live in a desert very soon. You, you realize where is the life located? It's, it's, located all around whatever little water you can find. Uh, that's where the plants grow. That's where the, the animals come to drink. It is water that gives life. And so just as it's water that gives life to our bodies, it's Jesus's word that gives life to our souls. And of course, that's what, that's what Jesus is talking about here. Jesus answered and said to her, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. So the, the water in the well, of course, you're going to have to keep coming back to it. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life and the woman said to him sir give me this water that i may not thirst nor come here to draw so we tend to care first and foremost about our earthly needs uh, jesus calls us to not worry about our earthly needs he of course tells us that your heavenly father knows your earthly needs worry about your spiritual needs okay <clears throat> if we worry first about our earthly needs our souls will dry up and be dead but if we if we seek first the kingdom of god and and his righteousness and and the living water of our souls uh we're going to be refreshed by christ and we're going to get to heaven and then we don't need to worry about our earthly needs at all so jesus is really showing this woman the superiority how the thing the very thing that we think of as not important our spiritual life and and spiritual needs jesus says is so much more important so much better than just earthly water 
Jesus said to her, go, call your husband and come here. Then the woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you have well said, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. In that you spoke truly. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is a place where one ought to worship. She asked uh, for the living water. Jesus is talking about this living water. She's excited about it. She asks for the living water. And it may seem that Jesus simply changes the topic. Uh, go and call your husband. <laughs> and in fact, uh, one of the commentaries I read said that straight out. Oh, here Jesus changes the topic. No, Jesus isn't changing the topic. Jesus, she asks for the living water and Jesus is giving her the living water, right? Because how is it that we're brought to faith? We're brought to faith when God's word confronts us with our sin and showing us our sin uh, teaches us to repent and trust in Jesus Christ. And that's exactly what Jesus is doing here, isn't he? He's giving her that living water, or at least he's calling her to drink of it uh, by, by confronting her with her sin. Uh, she doesn't really get it, right? Because uh, the the things of God are spiritually discerned. We don't understand them by nature. And, and she's still, uh, you know, <laughs> uh, without that spiritual discernment that comes through the, the gift of the Holy Spirit. So she's really confused. But she does understand, hey, wait a minute. This man must be a prophet. He knows things about me uh, that he couldn't have known uh, unless he is a prophet. So confronted with uh, somebody who's obviously a prophet, uh, who, who knows things about her life that there's no way he could have known, uh, well, she has a question for him. Uh, confronted by Jesus Christ, you know, I hope we would have better questions for him than what, what mountain are we supposed to worship in? But of course, this was a very important topic for the Samaritans. Uh, going back a little bit for the history, uh, after the, the Jews came and taught the, the Samaritans uh, about Jehovah, about the Lord, uh, the Samaritans decided not only were they going to worship the Lord along with their other gods, but they said, oh, we're not going to go down to Jerusalem. We'll just worship him here on Mount Gerizim. Now, this city, Sychar, is right at the bottom of the mountain on the eastern side of its slope. So the mountain that the woman is talking about is just right there. She's probably even pointing to it. Our fathers worshiped the Lord here on this mountain, she says. And uh, there was a temple dedicated to the Lord that had been built on the top of that mountain many, many years ago. About 150 years before Jesus came, that temple had been destroyed by one of the Maccabean priests. So there was a family of priests, and they're called the Maccabees uh, because they're descended from Jacob Maccabee. Uh, but there, there's a family of priests that for a little while ruled the nation of Israel. So when these priests were in, in charge and kind of had the authority and, and the charge over the area, they used that authority to go up and destroy this temple that the Samaritans had built on the top of Mount Gerizim. However, the Samaritans continued to worship the Lord there, even though the temple had been destroyed. So they, at the time of this woman is talking, they're still worshiping the Lord on top of that or at least they think they're worshiping the Lord. Uh, they're worshiping the Lord on the top of that mountain, uh, but they don't have a temple anymore. In fact, Ruprecht actually says that they, I, I don't know how the validity of this claim, but Ruprecht claims that there's still a group of quote-unquote Samaritans who still worship the Lord there on the top of Mount Gerizim. He says, there, you know, when he wrote his book, Ruprecht, the Ruprecht wrote his book, he says there are about 200 Samaritans uh, worshiping the Lord, wrongly worshiping the Lord, but worshiping, claiming to worship the Lord uh, still there on the top of Mount Gerizim. So <clears throat> this woman has, uh, recognizes Jesus as a prophet, and instead of confessing her sins and looking for forgiveness, which is what Jesus is trying to call him to do, she's like, well, we have the right to worship here, don't we? Can't you go tell those Jews to let us worship the Lord here? Uh, isn't it good enough that we're worshiping the Lord? Yeah, who cares if we, if we go down to Jerusalem? 
verse 21. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Uh, Jesus is chiding the woman here showing her her sin once again and notice he says we you don't know what you're doing you don't know the correct way to worship the lord uh the, we know what we are doing salvation is of the jews and that was true in the old testament uh, the, the salvation is something that came to the world through the jewish people uh, it was always god's intention that it not remain with the jewish people that that proclamation of the lord and the truth of god go out from jerusalem and there's many psalms and old testament prophecies about that light going out from jerusalem but it it came to the world through the people of Ju of jude through the people of israel and they were the ones who understood they were the ones who had received the scripture they were the ones who were taught the scripture they were the ones who who knew the scriptures or at least should have and so jesus correctly tells her uh, you guys i mean he's telling her she's wrong uh, there's no doubt about that. He's saying it in a very nice way, right? He's definitely tell her, telling her that, yeah, you guys, you guys are wrong. You shouldn't be worshiping uh, on Mount Gerizim. You don't know what you're doing and you're not doing it correctly. But he's not going to get hung up on that. He's come to seek and to save the lost. That's uh, not really that much of an issue anymore because uh, the place of worship is, is not in, is important. Right now, what is important is worshiping the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. It's no longer important where you worship Jerusalem or here, uh, but that you worship correctly. And that also is a the law being presented to her, isn't it? Because she's not worshiping the true Lord. Uh, he's calling on her to remove the idols and worship Jehovah, the Lord, in truth, uh, not just in name only, not that empty worship. Uh, the Ecclesiastes tells us uh, that we should we should draw near with God uh, and not offer the sacrifice of fools, but we should draw near to listen. Uh, so we need to listen to God's word, and, and that's what Jesus is calling on her to do here as well. The woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming and is called, called the Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. At this point, his disciples came and they marveled that he talked with a woman, yet no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? The woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city and said to the men, come, see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? So you could at this point ask the kids, well, how do we know this woman uh, believed that Jesus was the Christ? How do we know that she was excited? And the answer is she left her water pot. She was so excited about what she heard about Jesus that she leaves her water pot. She doesn't even bother to take the time to pick it up, to carry it back into the city, even though that's where she is going. She just runs back to the city in order to tell the people what had happened. Now notice the woman is being very tactful here. At least it seems like it. Uh, she probably knows that the, the people aren't really going to listen to her. They're not really going to believe her. So she doesn't try uh, to make them believe her, but instead she invites them, come and see. Is this the Christ? Come and see. I'm pretty sure at this point the woman is convinced that it is the Christ. Uh, or the fact that she left the water pot, her excitement, and the things she said implies that. But her invitation to the people is come and see. And of course, 
And the same thing happened when Jesus called his first disciples, come and see. And that's kind of a, a continual refrain throughout the book of John. Come and see. You come and see. John's gospel is calling us to come and see. Is this the Christ? And of course, in the gospel of John, we see very clearly that it is and that we can have salvation through him. Then they went out of the city and came to him. In the meantime, his disciples urged him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food of which you do not know. Therefore, the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him anything to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do not do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for the harvest. And he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life, that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labors. So our forefathers, when they first came to America, uh, before they could farm the land, of course, they had to clear it. They had to clear the trees. They had to clear the stones. Uh, we, the farmers still have to clear stones from the from the land even to this day. But a much easier job than our forefathers who had to, had to clear everything out of the land. Of course, uh, many of those uh, who came to America didn't do it themselves, but used slave labor, which was wrong. But in any case, <clears throat> many of them did do it themselves. I, I think especially here in the northern Wisconsin, uh, they, they did it themselves. But my point is that, okay, they had to, first they had to clear the land, then they had to sow, then they had to build. Uh, but we reap the, the rewards of their hard work. And we have so much today uh, because of their hard work. The same thing was true for the, the Israelites when they first came into the land of, the land of Canaan, the land of Israel. They didn't have to clear the fields. The fields were already cleared. The fields were already planted. Uh, they could just reap a uh, harvest what uh, the Canaanites had built and what the Canaanites had planted. And so Jesus uh, uses that same picture here uh, to his disciples. Uh, the prophets, the Old Testament prophets, were the ones that labored hard and long. Jeremiah especially uh, had a very tough life and constantly persecuted, uh, but now the result is that the the apostles are the ones who are going to go and harvest uh, the the reward of those Old Testament prophets' labors uh, and God's word through them. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who had testified, he told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his own word. Then they said to the woman, Now we believe, not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard him, and we know that he is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. So at first they believed simply because of this woman's word and what she told him he did. But then they came to know him themselves, and that faith grew in their hearts so that it was independent of the woman. They saw for themselves that he was the Christ. And again, this is the, the theme of John's gospel. These things are written so that you may know that he is the Christ, the Son of God, and knowing you may believe and have life in his name. Uh, and so here we see that playing out in the woman of Samaria. And we see that in our own lives as well, uh, that we, we start life, uh, many of us started our Christian life as children, believing because it's what our parents told us. Uh, but there comes a point where it's no longer our parents' faith, but we have to make it our own faith. Uh, very often, you know, around teenage college years, uh, we have to learn to to believe on our own, uh, not simply because that's what we were told. And, and it becomes very personal and much more um, intense and much more um, a part of our lives when we do that. And, and we learn to, to believe that he is the Christ through John's gospel and the other gospels as well, through that word about what he's done and his his 
power in our lives to forgive our sins and to save us from ourselves. Lord's blessings on your Sunday school lesson. Give me a call or send me an email if you have any questions.